0: Hey, welcome to Oasis Singles. My name's Pastor Dave, and I'm so excited you're here. By the way, this site is not just about Christian dating service reviews and so forth, but it's also about life advice, all things Christian single. We have articles, we have interactive ways that you can get in touch with each other, and we also have podcasts that are all about the Christian life. I hope you enjoy our site, and I hope you enjoy the podcast you're about to listen to right now. God God bless. On the same floor and he hadn't seen their faces in 10 months. All their communication was by instant messenger and email. And increasingly in the modern world, we're having trouble having real relationships. So we turn into plastic relationships distant relationships that we feel are safe over an electric wire and even fantasy relationships while we avoid the intimate and the vital aspects of really knowing somebody and touching them and looking them in the eye. And that same kind of process is happening in sexuality. Increasingly, fantasy images of pornography are crowding out real relationships. And the solitary sex of masturbation is replacing God's intended plan of marriage partners having the intimacy of sexual intercourse. And masturbation, of course, has probably always been with us primarily is an activity of sexual discovery among the immature that's not so serious but what's different now is what i would call a tsunami wave of pornography and fantasy that's tied to addictive habits of masturbation that don't go away in adulthood or even in marriage I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm, I feel like I'm pretty safe in assuming this morning that uh, masturbation and pornography are problems that have probably touched nearly every person in this room. I'm assuming that nearly every man has seen pornography at some point, if not many points, and many women as well. I'm assuming that many of you, men and women... carry around with you a struggle and a secret shame over a habit of masturbation. And I, I can say that because I've talked to a lot of you, men and women, and they nearly all have told me again and again that this problem of solitary sex is a huge, huge problem that's not really being talked about enough. Consider these facts. According to the Justice Department, in 1998... There were 28,000 x-rated websites on the internet generating about a billion dollars in revenue. 3 years later. 3 years later in 2001 there were not 28,000, there were 280,000 x-rated websites with 10 to 20 billion dollars in revenue and now it's over 3 more years later and it's a pretty fair guess now that there are over 1 million x-rated websites on the internet. A study done in 2002 found that 9 in 10 kids between the ages of 8 and 16 years old have already viewed porn online, often accidentally. I came across one estimate that 80% of all internet sites are pornography. So, we're now to the point where it's more accurate to say there's a little internet in with the porn than it is to say that there's porn on the internet. Let's take a little closer to home. Chris Herning, our youth pastor, tells me he goes on a retreat with junior high kids. We're talking sixth to eighth grade. These are kids from Christian churches, mostly from Christian homes. And he had a discussion group, both boys and girls, and he asked them, how many of you have seen pornography? And there was not one that had not. Every single one of them. I have talked to an untold number of men, married and single, who struggle with pornography to the point it's like, you know, you just almost assume that that's going, that that's a struggle. You know, when I was a kid, to get pornography, you had to kind of uh, skulk around a little bit. You had to kind of deliberately subscribe to some magazine like a Playboy that comes in a telltale brown paper wrapper so everybody in the neighborhood knows what's going into your house. (laughs) Or you had to actually walk into some seedy bookstore with old men that you didn't want to get close to you, and everybody knows it's selling porn. You know, they look at your car in the parking lot, and they go, oh. That was kind of a big deterrent. The Internet's changed all that. Now you can see almost anything you want from the privacy of your own home. And the result, of course, is that millions of people, men and women, are hooked on porn. So what's the problem? What's the problem with masturbation or pornography? If you do a search in your Bible index or your concordance, In the back of your Bible, you don't find the word pornography or the word masturbation in there anywhere. It's not in there. There's no verse that directly speaks to those issues. They're not ever named in and of themselves directly as sins. And there are some Christians that have taken that and said, Well, the Bible doesn't speak about masturbation, so it must not be wrong. Although nearly all of them condemn pornography. But the funny thing is this when I talk to people even when they've kind of heard that idea their conscience keeps telling them there's something wrong they still continue to live with a deep sense of shame and they often they still find that their relationship with God is hurt and damaged because of it. So how can that be? What I'd like to explore this morning is what the problem of solitary sex is, really. And then talk a little bit about how we can find freedom. We're going to begin with the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Teaching given to his disciples. Matthew chapter 5. Beginning at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is probably one of the most radical teachings of Jesus. Jesus spoke this in a day when the whole focus of morality was sort of on outward religious conformity. As long as you kept the outside looking just right, you were fine. But Jesus says, no, that's fake. That what's going on on the inside really does count. There's another whole arena of morality that is not insignificant, your mind. And you can't say, well, just because I haven't outwardly got fallen into immoral sexual behavior, that does not mean that there is no effect if you're fantasizing immoral behavior. That's what lust is, sexual fantasy. You know, he's not taking away the distinction. It's still true that actual physical immoral behavior is more serious than lust. Why? Because it affects somebody else. Several somebody else's, as we've talked in previous weeks. But nevertheless, lust is still sin. And we can try to make our fantasies out to be neutral, like they don't make any difference. It's just in my head. But Jesus makes it very clear here. What's in your head is not neutral, and it can have serious consequences. He speaks as strongly as it's possible to speak. Better to lose a part of your body than to have your whole body thrown into hell. What's in your mind can have serious consequences. Why is that? What's the problem? And what I want to do is talk sort of about these two things together, masturbation and pornography, because they're often linked. And along the way, we'll get some different points about each one. First of all, consider this. In order to masturbate, we nearly all have to engage in sexual fantasy. That means engage in lust, the very thing that Jesus is teaching us not to do. I've heard people try to rationalize this. Well, I can, you know, masturbate and not lust. Well, I just think it's kind of hard to do without something, some image in your mind. I don't know. At least for the men... Just try maintaining an erection, thinking about nothing but math or nothing but broccoli. (laughs) It doesn't work. Come on, we'll be honest with ourselves. We're conjuring up fantasy sexual images. So that's the first problem right there. It's very difficult to do without lusting. Second problem is that masturbation ultimately defeats God's purposes in sexuality. God is after so much more. Because you see, one of the chief goals of our sexuality is to draw us outside of ourselves and into the light of others. Solitary sex of any sort defeats that purpose. John White, who wrote about this subject, wrote this. He says, Orgasm is a small part of a greater and more personal whole. Your sexual longings are associated with a deeper need that someone should share your island and bring your isolation to an end. Masturbation is to be alone on an island, and it frustrates the very instant that it gratifies. You catch that? It frustrates the instant that it gratifies a second of gratification, and then frustration. And that's why people get addicted. Because ultimately what satisfies is real relationship with another living person, according to the plan of God, nothing else. We all celebrate C.S. Lewis, but what a lot of people don't know is he actually addressed this subject in a letter to someone who was asking him for advice. This is what he said. For me, the real evil of masturbation would be that it takes an appetite which in lawful use leads the individual out of himself to complete and correct his own personality and that of another. And instead, it turns it back, sends the man back into the prison of himself, there to keep a harem of imaginary brides. And this harem, once admitted works against his ever getting out and really uniting with a real woman. For the harem is always accessible, always subservient, calls for no sacrifices or adjustments, and can be endowed with erotic and psychological attractions which no real woman can rival. Among these shadowy brides, he is always adored, always the perfect lover, No demand is made on his unselfishness, no mortification ever imposed on his vanity. In the end, they become merely the medium through which he increasingly adores himself. After all, almost the main work of life is to come out of ourselves, out of the little dark prison that we are all born in, Masturbation is to be avoided as all things are to be avoided which retard this process. The danger is that of coming to love the prison. God is calling us out of ourselves. Solitary sex isolates us in ourselves. And ultimately sets ourselves up to be our own idol. And you see, because of that, there's a point where masturbation begins to hinder a true adult desire to connect meaningfully with others' people. We'll end up spending more and more time alone rather than being out there interacting with real people. Here's how one Roman described her discovery of why she was addicted to masturbation. She says, First of all, I felt out of control and wanted control in my life. Fantasy coupled with masturbation were safer than being in real relationships with people. Fantasies can't hurt me like those who sexually abused me. I can control the fantasy, i.e., who to be with, how the partner will respond to me, what will happen, and when to feel aroused. As an abuse victim, I could not control any of these. And eventually, I realized that the fantasies were not real and were unfulfilling. Of course, in masturbation, the progression from these erotic fantasies made me feel worse about myself. I returned to this addiction repeatedly, however, when I didn't feel in control of my life. Over time, I began surrendering my need to be in control. And I then entrusted Jesus to manage different areas of my life. One by one, I transferred management responsibilities of my finances and my career and my family and my school and dating relationships, talents, successes, future, my time, my self-protective mechanisms, and my hurts, all, all to Jesus. And something loosened. Second, I did not want to face reality. I wanted what was false because I did not want reality. Reality hurts. People hurt others. I had experienced much hurt through childhood sexual abuse and an attempted rape as a teenager. I didn't want more hurt. Masturbation was an escape for me away from reality. It made me feel good. It didn't hurt anyone, or so I thought, and it didn't cost any money. I soon discovered I was creating more hurt for myself inadvertently. Masturbation isolated me from others because I preferred being alone with my fantasies and masturbation rather than be with people. When I realized this, I knew masturbation wasn't holy to God. God wants us in community to be cared for in holy, honorable ways by his people, not in isolation. And so I've made more effort to be in community. An area of healing is happening in my relationships with men. Instead of defensiveness and mistrust of my Christian brothers, I'm more able to accept their genuine concern for me. And I now have Christian brothers that I can trust to pray for me and provide emergency support. They've been more recently an expression of God's protection and provision. Third thing that's a problem with masturbation and pornography is that they're and often painful and destructive rejection of our God-given spouse. Some of you might think, oh, I'm not married, but when I get married, this will all go away. Think again. Not only does it not go away, it often gets worse. I cannot begin to tell you the measure of the pain and the destructive rejection that is felt by a spouse who finds that their husband or their wife prefers fantasy images to themselves. A while back, a woman I had known years ago visited on a Sunday worship service. And she asked to talk to me afterwards. And I was shocked because I couldn't hardly recognize this person. If she hadn't said her name, I, w- I don't know if I would have known it was her. She looked like she was 20 years older than she really was. It had been like seven years and she looked like it had been 30. What could have happened? It was like, I looked at her I thought, what happened? And she proceeded to talk about how her husband was addicted to pornography to the point where he... He chose it over her. Even when she was asking him for sexual intimacy, he would rather be with the fantasies. And eventually, he was regularly lying and deceiving her about his activities. And the trust in their marriage was destroyed, but not only that, but her confidence in herself as a woman, her hopes, her dreams were also destroyed. And it showed in her face. It's not innocent. It's not harmless. It's just, you know, just, just take a bomb in your house and blow it up. Number four: Masturbation, especially when coupled with pornography, is addicted. Very addictive. Or well, we all think, oh, maybe just this once, or just for this season, or just while I'm single, or just during this bad time. But here's the reality. The fantasy world becomes addictive, and we eventually can't stop. More than once I've heard of men sitting in the room walk, looking at pornography, ignoring their wife, waiting for them in the bedroom. And like most addictions, it tends to grow and grow over time. Not such a big deal at first, but gradually taking over more and more and more and more of your life. More and more of your time, more and more of your emotional energy, more and more of your ability to have relationship until there's almost nothing left. Pretty soon, more and more time is being spent in the endless and ultimately fruitless search for satisfaction in fantasy land. I've talked to men who reported going on binges of spending as long as 12, 13, 14, 18 hours continuously looking at pornography and masturbating over and over and over again. And, of course, inevitably, as it takes over more and more, like all addictions, it becomes more and more necessary to lie and deceive to maintain the addiction. And we should not ignore the fact that for a certain number of people, certainly not the majority, but some small minority of people, that addiction leads to worse behavior, seeking out prostitutes, even violent behavior. Almost all the sexual killers that have ever been interviewed, pornography was an important step in their progression. Into that darkness. It's a serious addiction. Number five, we have to be realistic about the simple fact that we often use masturbation and pornography to medicate our feelings rather than taking them to God and God's people. I've talked again and again to many men who reported that in the midst of a bad time or unusual stress, they found themselves falling into pornography and masturbation. One man told me, I was doing all this stuff, and one day I realized I'm trying to put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound in my heart, and it's not working. See, what's happening is we're looking for comfort, for something to medicate our pain expecting an orgasm based on fantasy to do it, to make our pain go away. But the funny thing is this. The pain doesn't go away. Rather, it's simply buried more deeply with a ton of shame and self-hatred now added to it. You know, I've prayed for tens of thousands of people over the last 20 years, all over the world, And about the saddest thing I've ever seen are a few men that I've run into who were addicted to pornography and masturbation for 20, 30, 40 years. Because these men have difficulty feeling any feelings at all other than the overriding feeling of self loathing. They can't cry, they can't laugh. They feel no joy, ever. Their eyes have a deadness that speaks of someone who's lost all hope, all drive, all joy, all love. They're dead men, walking. The the addiction has destroyed them like a parasite eating their body from the inside out. And their attempt to medicate their pain led them into a kind of living death. Or if you want to use the words of Jesus, a living hell while still in the body. See, he's not talking about by and by after you die. He's talking about now. Here's another woman's description. I'd have to admit that self-sex really takes me away. I feel drugged. I can't have an orgasm unless I'm looking at porn, which has been progressively more perverse, or I'm thinking about submissive fantasies. I've had trouble abstaining from my drug of choice because it helps me medicate my feelings of being unwanted and unloved. But I do have to admit that abstaining for 90 days was the best thing I could have done for my recovery. It helped me stay focused on what feelings I was having and what was really behind those feelings. And finally, if I need to add anything else, it should be painfully obvious that fantasy images, giving ourselves over to that kind of life, in lust and pornography, are ultimately dehumanizing to people. It means that in our mind, people become objects for our selfish satisfaction. Something far, 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 far less than God's purposes for us. So how can we stop? How can we find freedom? Jesus himself addresses this very directly and very immediately. He wastes no time. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. I think Jesus understands the addictive nature of lust, of the fantasy world, and he understands how it can take over. And so drastic action is necessary to beat this addiction. There's no room for compromise, no room for finding some easy way decisive, immediate action is demanded. It's sort of like if somebody has cancer. You don't just say, oh, I'll get around to it someday and deal with it. No, a surgeon goes in and he cuts it out, and he's not satisfied with that. They send you to chemotherapy or radiation to make sure they get every last bit. Now, of course, literally gouging out your eye or literally cutting off your arm isn't going to keep you from lusting. Because it's not actually your eye or arm that's the problem. I think lobotomies are out of the question. But the point Jesus is trying to make is simply this. Do whatever it takes. I'll give you some suggestions. Number one. You need to come into freedom. Understand. Solitary sex is about falling into myself. So do the opposite. Press into real relationships. Honest relationships. Like I'm trying to show you in this series. Real relationships in Christian community. The answer to fantasy is the real. Andy Comiskey says, you know, reclaiming the good gift of our sexuality necessitates discovering the Christ who is present in his body. Instead of becoming obsessed with trying to stop, like saying, oh, I'm not going to think about pink elephants. I won't, I won't, I won't. All the time you're thinking about it. Instead, let's go deeper to the real problem and start by pressing into real relationships. Yes, it's risky. Sometimes it hurts. But it's really the only place where real healing can happen. And real satisfaction can happen. Number two, begin to turn to God with your needs instead of trying to medicate yourself. You know, sometimes people get frustrated. They say, I've prayed to the Lord again and again. Lord, stop my sexual desire. And he never does. And he won't. Because why? Because he gave it to you. It's normal and healthy. It has a purpose. If you don't need it right now, you might very well need it someday. No, what we need to pray is not, Lord, stop my sexual desire. What we need to pray is, Lord, I want to receive from you the healing of the gaping wound in my heart. I want to receive from you the affirmation when I just got rejected. I want to hear from you that I can be okay and feel good about myself in any circumstances because you are with me. Turn to him. With your needs. Three, stop feeding the addiction. Just don't feed it with the things that get you into it. Don't look at those television shows that get your mind going down the wrong path. Don't read those books that get your mind going the wrong path or the magazines. And avoid overt porn like the plague. Stop feeding the addiction. Don't give it any room at all. Number four, eliminate all the easy temptations. And this is where the gouge out your eye bit really comes in. I talked to one guy who had a a big struggle this week, and this is what he tells me he did. This is how he found freedom. He got rid of his computer. He has to go to public places to do his emailing, and he doesn't have cable TV. And limits his television watching. He cut out his eye. Move your office. A lot of guys end up falling into this at work. Get out of the private office. Work in front of everybody. That'll make it hard. Get rid of the computer or the cable TV. Always be in a hotel room with other people. The guy I talked to this week, as I was talking about this, and he says, You know, this is what I did. It's real inconvenient. I have to go way out of my way all the time. What he says is this He says, This is what he'd want to tell you. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's totally worth it because the freedom is worth it. He says, My life with Jesus is on a completely different plane. Simply because I was willing to do whatever it took. Number five, look for God's way out. God always gives you a way out. Call somebody. Move. Change rooms. Get help. Do something else. Whatever. Look for God's way out when you're in temptation. And understand always, when you're in temptation, it's often an expression of underlying need that needs to be turned back to God. You can start getting in the habit of figuring that out. You're well on your way to freedom. Number six, confess to someone who will love you without coddling your addiction. There's nothing quite so powerful to break the power of the shame and the guilt that holds us in our prison. And it holds us in our addiction as telling somebody else, not somebody who says, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. I have the same problem. That's not helpful. You want somebody who will love you and accept you, but will also understand, no, this is serious, and we work together to get you out of it. Confess to somebody like that. You know them. There are really, truly good friends, the ones who always tell you even when you don't want to hear it. Number I forgot what number I'm at. Seven. Worship God every day. And especially when you're tempted, worship. It's really difficult to say, I love you, Jesus, and keep the lustful thoughts. Worship him. Begin your day with worship. It gives you strength. It gives you power. Because why? Because it puts you in the presence of God. Finally, if you're struggling with pornography... And for whatever reason, you can't get rid of your computer. Then get some decent accountability software. There's a little outfit called XXXChurch.com. XXXChurch.com. You should be able to remember that. (laughs) Okay, XXXChurch.com. You go there. I, I checked their website out. They got this nifty little program that you put it on your computer, and it emails to a friend every site you visit. You want to be free? <laughs> you really want to deal with this? Then cut onto your eye, put that accountability software, and send it to that person who isn't going to like coddle you. Who's going to tell you? Who's going to be in your face? And you'll find freedom. Let's have the band come up. Now I know there are a lot of us here today that are struggling. I want to make just a couple additional comments to you. Part of the lie, of course, is that it's only you. You're a freak. You're an evil person. There's no use trying. That is not true. You're not the only person. You're not a freak. And you're not the world's most evil person. You're an ordinary, broken human being. And there are very, very many people, men and women, who have also had to deal with sexual brokenness. Many of those are people that have accomplished a lot and for whom we have a lot of respect. The devil will try to fill you with condemnation and shame because his intent is to solidify you into his prison. But that is all a lie. Yes, masturbation and pornography are very serious problems, but they are not a cause For the kind of shame and the hiding and self-hatred that you might be feeling. Simply because you are struggling with this. You need to understand that the Lord's compassion is so deep for you. Second thing you need to know is that you can find freedom. You can get out. How far are you willing to go to find it? Is it really that much of a stretch to do what it takes? There are people right here in this room, I know, who found freedom. And it's wonderful, and it's marvelous, and it's glorious. You can too. And lastly, one other thing. Blood of Jesus is more powerful than your shame. It's more powerful than your sin. It's more powerful than your addiction. And you probably have sometimes felt like, I can never be free. And God can never really forgive me. But that is not true. He has oceans of forgiveness and oceans of freedom to give to you. And he is unbelievably, fervently passionate that every one of you should walk in the freedom of his love and of his mercy and his forgiveness. Okay, we'll stand and respond to the Lord in this song.